strongly um, do a teaching on wisdom. And um, we're going to open our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. You can follow up on the screen. <clears throat> and we're going to learn a lot about wisdom this weekend and, Lord willing, next weekend. This is all a prelude to a book I'm going to be putting out sometime next year on wisdom because they think it's something that we really need more than ever, especially in the church. So follow along with me. I'm going to read the first seven verses. Again, I'm going to use the version of the Bible Moses brought down from Mount Horeb. No, I'm only kidding. So we're going to be uh, looking at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And really listen to this as we read it because this is really, uh, you know, this is a dad speaking to his son who's probably no more than 19 years old. And this is something that uh, he is sharing with his son. And, of course, the deeper version is also for all you and I to listen to today as well. So Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive or the gullible, <coughs> to the youth, knowledge, discretion. Look at verse 5. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and the riddles. Look at verse 7. Probably the most important verse in all of Scripture is verse 7. The fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So put up slide 3. So here's some questions this morning to draw you into this. What is wisdom? Where does it come from? How do we acquire it? How do we apply it to our everyday lives? Is it even important to me? Think of it. Somebody's asking you to pen out your definition of the word wisdom. I want you to think deeply this morning of what comes to your mind. Now, when I think of these questions, I'm led, obviously, to the wisdom literature in Scripture, to the book of Proverbs. Put up slide four. So I want to define some terms for you this morning. What's really important is not what we think the word wisdom means, but what did Solomon mean when he penned this word about 3,800 years ago in this text? What did he mean? Well, the Hebrew word is the word shachma. That word actually, <clears throat> in its root form, means skill, masterful understanding, expertise. The Greek word is the word sophia. In the Greeks, it also means skill, expertise, insight, deep understanding. So when you see the word wisdom, think about skill, think about insight. Think about deep understanding. Put up slide five. So Solomon begins this with the Proverbs of Solomon, 
the son of David, who was the king of Israel. I also want to make sure, since we stay on slide five, that we also define the word proverb. It's amazing how much Latin is in our Bibles. The word proverb comes from the Latin word provibium. The Hebrew word that Solomon is using here is the word mashal. <clears throat> the root form of that word means to rule. So think about it. Provibium. Rule. I'm going to use another fancy term here that we don't use today. It has the idea, if we were to define it as something we call a pithy maxim. And you're like, Pastor Jack, okay, we don't talk that way today. What's a pithy maxim? I'm so glad you asked. It means you're paying attention. Well, pithy maxim really has the idea of words that are um, they're kind of very forceful in meaning, uh, of substance, expression. This isn't just casual side conversation. So when you think of a pro provibium or a proverb, we're thinking of words that are very forceful in their meaning, in their intent. Very important that we understand that. They have substance to them. It's not just shallow conversation. <clears throat> and they're very expressive. So it can then be said that proverbs are actually rules for living and stated truths that God has placed in his word for you and I to be able to govern our lives in a way that honors him. Amen? So there is your understanding of Proverbs. So I want you to be thinking about that. God didn't just put these in here just casually. These are words for life, church. Slide six. The preacher's outline in the sermon Bible lists some characteristics of these pithy maxims, these Proverbs, these forceful, meaningful, substance and expressive statements in Scripture. So here are some of the characteristics of it. Slide six and seven. They are short and concise sayings. They are catchy sayings. <clears throat> Church, they are constructed in such a way that it actually makes them easy to remember if you're willing to study them and learn them. And they're, slide seven, they're, they're candid sayings. They're very convicting and to the point, and many of these proverbs will often make the reader feel very uncomfortable. They're also ethical you see, the, the, the teachings here in Proverbs are honorable principles that are supposed to be there to, for you and I to govern our lives with. And they're educational. In fact, parents would use these Proverbs in teaching their children. You know, not too long ago, about just 100 years ago, um, you know, the King James Version Bible was actually one of the main textbooks in school to teach people how to read and think. Kids don't learn critical thinking anymore. It's sad. And also on number seven, their familiar sayings are often repeated and quoted, and they're handed down through generations, and they are sayings that express a general truth. So then, looking at all that, I have to ask myself, okay, so we know what the word proverb means. We, we know what the word wisdom means. What's wisdom's purpose? God answers that in verses 2 through 4, slide 8 and 9. Wisdom's purpose to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. How, here's how the New Living puts it. And I like the New Living's way of putting this. 
Wisdom's purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline. It is to help them understand the insights of the wise. Look at verse 3 and 4. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. The Proverbs will give insight or understanding to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. You'll notice some key words there in the text. The word know means to understand. And church, it also has the idea here in the Hebrew of being consciously aware of something. There's a level of discernment there. The discernment word here also has the idea of separating mentally to perceive, to distinguish. To separate mentally. You know, going down to this corner where the drug dealer's at, you know that's wrong. You know that's stupid. So we're separating mentally from doing something like that to going to doing something that is wise and just. Okay? So the idea here is educating us and instructing us and sometimes through correction. So Solomon wanted his son and the readers to receive and be constantly aware of experience and understand what is being taught there. I remember a long time ago, slide 10, when I was younger, a man named Zig Ziglar. And Zig Ziglar said this, Christian man. Zig Ziglar said, you are who you are. You are where you are because of what goes into your mind. But you can change, you could change who you are, and you could change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. Who is you who is allowing you or who are you allowing to give wisdom into your head are you allowing people that don't have any or are you going to people that have it think about this church what would be different in your life if you committed yourself to soaking your heart and mind daily in the reading of scripture i want you to think about that clearly see the world is full of a thousand voices that are bidding for your attention Every time you turn on the TV, there's commercials and commercials about medication. This, this medication will do great, but it'll kill you. <laughs> Thanks. Wisdom there. <clears throat> so think about it. What would be different in your life if you committed yourself to soaking your heart and mind daily in Scripture? Look at slide 11. Let's flip over here. This is in James. <clears throat> so James says this to... You know, people. He says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all how much? Generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him. Okay, in today's vernacular now, slide 12. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Pretty much spells it out, doesn't it? So look at that statement. If any of you lack wisdom, lepite sophias, lack wisdom. What does it mean, lacking? Okay, you know, James, what did you mean when he used the word lack? Actually, the word James used here for lack has the idea of also almost being destitute, being absent, being without, not having. So if you're lacking, if you're destitute, you're absent, 
You're, you're being without. Absent from what? Absent from spending any time in the Word of God. Wisdom. We've already learned. Skill, insight, deep understanding. He says if you're lacking it, if you're destitute for it, let him ask of God. And that word ask in the Greek is in the present active. The, uh, James is saying, listen, if you're lacking, keep on asking. It's an imperative. Continue doing it. Keep asking God. Asking him. Why? Because he gives it to all generously. God gives it willingly, freely. God is never stingy with it. And he gives it unconditionally. And he says, without reproach. Okay, reproach. Without reproach. Reproach means a severe reprimand or casting insults. Being critical. Being abusive. Being insulting in your communication. Have you ever reproached anybody with your mouth? What is James trying to get across? Listen, church. God will never, ever criticize you. He will never insult you for asking him for wisdom. He finishes with, it will be given to him generously. But James doesn't stop there. He says, listen, if you're lacking it, if you're destitute, listen, if you want things to be different in your life in 2023, you need to change some things in your life. You need to change your thinking from 2022 and say, what do I want to have different? Get a piece of paper, write down, you know, I want to get a decent job. I want this to improve in my life. And then get into the word of God and he will not insult you. He will give it to you generously. God's word is immutable. It never changes. If you open up Proverbs 1 tomorrow, it will say the same thing. How about James's warning here? Verse 6 and 7, slide 13 and 14. If we're going to ask, we must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Slide 14. But when you ask him, when you ask God, be sure. Now look at the text, church. Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Not one foot in God and another foot with the government. God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea Blown and tossed by the wind. Be honest this morning. How's your loyalty, lady, when it comes to honoring and serving the Lord? Do we have a list of all kinds of demands? Lord, I need this better, I need that better, I need this and I need that. But you're doubting. Don't be divided in your mind. He says he must ask in faith without doubting. So what does the word mean when he says doubt? Just what I said. Being divided in your mind. Church, listen. The idea that James here, the whole inference in the Greek here, that James is trying to get through to us, the doubting he's talking about here has the idea of this inner moral conflict or a total distrusting of God. You say you love him, you worship him, but you really don't trust him. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Jack? Well, do your actions and the behavior and the way you live reveal whether or not you are divided? Does it reveal that you trust him or does it reveal that you don't trust him? You see, 
Here, James is talking about this divided allegiance, uncertainty. Slide 15. So here's the questions. Do you trust God? Answer that honestly with yourself. Do you really trust Him? If you don't, be honest with God. If you say you do trust Him, does trusting Him reveal itself in the way you live and talk about Him? Is Jesus' name safe in your mouth? How many of us today often find ourselves having one foot in God's camp and coming to church and being all churchy on Sunday? How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. When you really aren't. And the other foot in the world's camp. And we start looking for all these blessings in the land of idols. James is saying, you can't have a divided allegiance here. Your faith has to be in Christ alone. That's what he's talking about. Think about it, church. How often do we find ourselves not wanting to commit, either because we don't want to give up our sinful habits or desires, or perhaps we really don't trust God because we don't think he's going to give us what we want. Where do you fall there? I got quiet, Dr. Carter. I don't know. We, we then find ourselves arguing and disputing with God because God allowed these painful trials to happen to us in the first place. And we look at these painful trials as punishment and criticisms when God's using them to say, I'm trying to steer you back to where you need to be. So we end up putting God on trial. We become the judge, jury, and executioner. Why? Because we are divided in our minds. And what, up, what ends up happening? Well, the rest of it is answered in the verse. For the one whose doubts or whose mind is divided, whose loyalty is divided, is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Slide 16. How does doubt show up or reveal itself in your life right now? Think about that. Think through with me on that. How, how does doubt, how does it reveal itself in your life currently? Do you, do you have any turbulence in your heart lately? Hmm, now it really got quiet. Church, the believer who doubts God <clears throat> is really doubt, doubting God's trustworthiness. And that's really an insult to God. You see, the person's request really isn't a request at all. Why? Think with me. The person foolishly does not believe that God will honor the request. So the person is tossed and driven by the winds of life out of control. Does that resonate with anybody? There's no settle, there's no peace there. The heart is unstable. Hear me this morning. When a person chooses not to trust God, the only thing left church is to go from bad to worse. And listen, people or all fallen creatures will let you down. But God will never let you down. That is a fact. All right, slide 17 and 18. James continues to build on this. He says, For that man ought not to expect that he's going to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Or the NLT... Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. What do we glean from this? We get the word dispute here, disputes, double-minded. 
vacillating back and forth in opinions and purposes, the soul being divided between God and the world, a person claiming to be a Christian, but that person's actions reveal that he's really or she really is an unbeliever. When the trials of life come crashing down on you, <clears throat> where do you turn? A double-minded person is going to turn just to human resources rather than trusting God. Slide 19. So the question is, where are you and I when trouble comes? When the trials come, think about it. Do we get angry? Do we get bitter? Do we get resentful towards God? Whew. That's a tough one, isn't it? Because we think if God did it our way, everything would be okay. It's funny if I go into a Wawa and I see people crowding around that this big machine there and it's got these little tiny things about this big and you see the people going, I got to get that money. I got to get that money. Oh, Jesus, if I, you give me this, I'll give 20% to the church. He's going, uh-huh, right. Okay, gotcha. People are chasing after all of that kind of nonsense because they think if I have this, everything will be okay. Think about it. What is that one thing that you think, if I had it, everything would be okay? Better job, more money, all that. But why is God not even on the list? Where do you turn? So then, recapping, the purpose of Proverbs is then to give... Now listen, it is to give us instruction and teach you and I how to live a godly life, a skillful life, to correct sinful, foolish thinking and behaviors that are emanating out of our fallen nature. So there is a function of chastisement and correction. It is steering us back to God's way of thinking about how to deal with things instead of the world's way of thinking. Slide 20 and 21. How about Proverbs? Let's go back to Proverbs. Proverbs 5, 1, 5. A wise man, a wise man will hear he will increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. <clears throat> Did you see that? How about NLT? Let the wise listen. Akuo, listen to these proverbs, these providiums, these pithy maxims, these forceful statements, and, and he becomes even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. It's interesting that word in the Hebrew for hear is the word shema. But the word shema isn't just listening like you're listening to a radio in the background. The word shema here, and you can really read about shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, right? The Lord our God, the Lord is how many? One, right? So the word Shema here has the idea of, of listening attentively with the whole flow of obeying what you're hearing. So Shema is I'm hearing intently, but I'm going to walk in obedience to what I'm hearing. The word learning, the word bene, the root form has the idea of taking or seizing upon something. I like how John Kitchen, slide 22, kind of fleshes this out, this verse in his commentary. John Kitchen says this, 
the mature person of wisdom gains an ever-increasing ability to grasp with their mind the wisdom of God as it relates to their particular circumstances. They will receive perception into the affairs of life. They will receive wise counsel. Slide 23, he goes on to say, (coughs) the Hebrew behind wise counsel is related to the word for rope or cord. Here it is a metaphor for what is intended that comes from the world of sea navigation. What does that mean? Ropes back then were used to steer ships. Thus a sailor will pull on the rope to steer a true course. So the one who rightly discerns the things of God will, by continuing to study these proverbs, they will be able to steer a safe and true course through life. Hear me this morning, church. We see that the purpose of Proverbs is for you and I to know truth. To know how to live out this truth of Christ in our everyday lives. And to know why you and I are to live out this truth. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, it is to all be done for the glory of God. So the Proverbs are here to help you and I correct our sinful, foolish tendencies because we are all children of the fall. We're all born outside of the garden. If if you and I are true followers of Christ, we should be able to see the incredible extreme value of godly wisdom and instruction that comes from the Scriptures. Hear me. Listen intently to the wisdom from Proverbs. Seize upon the instruction it is providing you and I with so we can grow in maturity and in our walk with the Lord and then we can pass it on and teach others. It's not something you just keep for yourself. So, how about wisdom during adversity? Slide 24 and 25. Who among you, back in James... Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior, his deeds and gentleness of wisdom. Or slide 25, the NLT. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living, living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. Who among you is wise and understanding? Or another way you could put it is, who among you is wise and intelligent? You see, James uses the Greek word estimanon for the word understanding. Epistemon means intelligence, comprehension. Comprehension comes from another Latin term, church. Comprehension has the idea of seizing When you have comprehension of a subject, you have seized upon that information. You have now incorporated it into your own knowledge. That's comprehension. Seizing upon it. Taking that information in and saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to live out this behavior instead of the worldly behavior or fallen nature behavior I've been living out. 
Wisdom here is used as the idea of a skill. So wisdom, Sophia, is the skill of applying the word of God to your life. You are skilled in the affairs of life. You have seized upon God's word. You've endued it with practical moral wisdom and understanding and applying it all to your life. How do we get wisdom? He says, seize upon comprehension from the Latin. Seize upon the word of God. Grab it up. Soak it into you, church. Why? How about, let's take a peek at 2 Timothy, slide 26 and 27, 3, 16 and 17. All scripture. Doesn't say part of it. Doesn't say some of it. By the way, side note, your Old Testament is 110% equally as important as your New Testament. 60% of your Old Testament is directly quoted in your New Testament. You can't have one without the other. And here's something else. The whole Bible should be written in red because it's all God's word. So all scripture is theopneustis. It is inspired by God. God breathed out what he wanted said into the minds of the human authors of that day and had them pen it. So it is theopneusis. Literally, God breathed out what he wanted to say. And that breathing out of what he wanted said is profitable or useful for teaching, reproofing us, correcting us, training us in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Or how about the NLT? I like the way they say it. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. I hope you circle that, put that in your Bible. Anytime that you're like, I don't feel like reading my Bible today, I want to see the 5,000th episode of Law and Order and CSI. Oh, yeah. I want to watch Criminal Minds for the 18,000th time. Oh, the football game is on. God, here, I got to make sure this, that, and the other. Hey, don't throw stones at me. I'm just preaching what it says. Teach us what is true. Make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Every one of us needs course correction in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Why in the world do we want to go on a fast when it comes to our Bible? Gorge on it. Suck it into your heart. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Your owner's manual on how to live your life is right here in these 66 canonical books called the Bible, the Scriptures. It is God's final authority on all matters of life, faith, and practice. There is nothing above the Word of God, church. Nothing. Okay? Church doctrine flows down here out of the Word of God. The things that happen in a church flow out of the final authority, which is the Word of God. Nothing trumps it. Nothing's above it. When a church starts putting history or their own dogmas here and pushes the Bible down this way, they're in trouble. So let's tease this apart real quick. Slide 28. Teaching. Didascalia. Some versions use the word doctrine. Both words are good. The idea is divine instruction. It is divine instruction that is given to you and I who are believers from God. 
Paul says in Romans 15:4, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our what? Instruction. So that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You and I are to study the scriptures. We are to meditate on them. Take what is taught them in them and put it into practice in our lives. Church, I do believe that God does in fact guide his people to do what brings him pleasure, but he does it through his word. God has given us his word for learning. Then he says, reproof or rebuke. That's the second word in the text. Elegenchas. It means to rebuke in order to convict a person of misbehavior or forced doctrine. The whole idea here is forcing a person back. See, the truth of God's word will expose falsehood and sin in our lives, and it will also expose ungodly behavior. God will reprimand, discipline his people when they turn away from him. And if we are daily applying the scriptures to our lives, you and I then develop the discernment to see when we are getting off track. It warns you and I when we go in the wrong direction. And God's word forces you and I back to see the truth about ourselves. We are blind, miserable, and naked before him. He is our only hope. And then correcting Correcting. The idea of correcting here, epanorthosis, has the idea of restoring something to its original and proper condition. It's an interesting Greek word here. It has the idea, this correcting here has the idea of, listen, restoring something to its original and proper condition. In secular Greek, it had the idea of setting upright an object that had fallen or literally, it's helping somebody to get back on their feet when they're falling. That's what this church does. What does correction do? What does it do, church? It, it changes something from being wrong to being right. It makes us conform to the proper standard. God doesn't just scold us when we sin. He's also offering us correction so that we do not foolishly continue to make the same mistake over and over and over again and expecting a different result. He, he puts our lives back on the right course, but he does it through his word. And the Holy Spirit never works independently from the word, church. Then he has training in righteousness. Pahadia. The idea of training here is tutoring, building up. You know, sometimes children need extra help in the subject, don't they? So we find a tutor to give them that extra additional help they need so that they can do well. Church, God's word guides us. Listen to me this morning. It guides us. Listen, God's word gives you and I the help and instruction we need to prepare us to live a life that is pleasing to God. It trains us, it tutors us so we can live a life that conforms to God's standards and not the world's. And then he finishes up with, so that the man of God may be artios, may be adequate, equipped for every good word. Artios, adequate. This word speaks of a person who is capable and proficient in whatever he or she does for the Lord. Equipping means to accomplish. When a believer is fully equipped and capable, the believer can then equip others that are under their care and tutelage. This is why 
We have for 19 years pleaded and begged people to get into a discipleship program, a one-on-one program with one of the leaders in the church to do this, to grow you, feed you, and equip you so then you can then pass on what you learn to others. You see, their lives reveal and affirm the power of God to leave people to a saving knowledge of Christ and equip them for righteous living and faithful service to the Lord. So then, who among you has the skill of understanding others if you first do not apply God's word to your own life? Church, hear me, I'm almost done. There needs to be a seizing of God's word and then inculcate it or incorporate it into your own life. So then as we finish up verse 13, what can we glean from James' teaching? Let him show by his good behavior and deeds and gentleness and wisdom. What is James telling us here? You know, what is he saying to us? He's telling us that if we claim to have wisdom and understanding, if we claim to be skilled in these areas of our lives, we are to show it how. With our good behavior and deeds. Slide 30. Here's some questions. Do our everyday activities that you and I are involved in reveal to others that we have this wisdom and understanding from God's word? Think about the people that know you, your way you work, up and down High Street, wherever you're going. Ask yourself this question. Forgive me, I'm insignificant. I'm just giving you the text. Does your everyday activities and my everyday activities that you and I are involved in, does it reveal to other people that we have godly wisdom and understanding? Does the way you and I talk to others reveal to them that we have self-control over our behaviors? Or can we still find ourselves at times being hot-headed and a person who's lacking wisdom and gentleness when conflicts occur? Oh, boy, it got quiet, Dr. Carter. Think about it. Here's a question I, I ask a lot. Are other people's names safe in your mouth? Gossip can destroy like a, the tongue of fire. and just set the world on fire. Are other people's names safe in your mouth? Or is it so much easier to talk down or bad about them to make yourself feel better about yourself? Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only what is necessary for edifying, that it will impart grace to the hearer. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Church, listen. If there's a lot of old wounds and anger that are making you toxic to be around, it reveals that you need some healing in your own life because that kind of toxic sludge can have you so full of anger or hot headedness and bitterness that there's no room in your heart to love other people. There's no room for gentleness. Your soul needs healing. You can't keep living in the past expecting it to change your future. You are who you are because of what goes into your mind. You can change who you are by changing what goes into your mind. Your soul needs healing. What, so what does gentleness mean? Think about it. You know, what does the word, how do we define the word gentleness? Let's make sure we understand what James meant when he used the word preotes. Has the idea of meekness and forbearance. Slide 31. Look what Webster's. Look what Webster says about preotes, gentleness. 
enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Ooh, ouch. Ooh. Oh, no. Enduring injury with patience, without resentment, gentle, quiet, unaggressive, benevolent, kind, courteous, and humble. Priotes, meekness, forbearance in the Greek. It's being humble and gentle towards others and willingly being submissive and obedient to the Lord. It is not being selfish, arrogant, loud, or obnoxious. It's having a quiet but confident trust in the Lord and being willing and able to do whatever He commands. It's interesting how Aristotle, slide 32, defines the word praeotes. That was the word back in his day. What does he say? It is the middle standing between two extremes, getting angry without reason and not getting angry at all. It is the result of a strong man's choice to control his reaction in submission to God. It is a balance born in strength of character stemming from a confident trust in God, not from weakness or fear. Don't tell me we don't need to be in the Word of God. We need to learn gentleness. We need to practice gentleness. You see? What is he telling us? Look at slide. What are we at? Slide 32? Let's go. 33. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Church, a person who is gentle is a person who is going to be tender and gracious with other people. A person who is gentle will have self-control when they are sinned against. Think about it this morning. Being gentle is a God-honoring character trait. It is a fruit of the Spirit, church. A person who is gentle is never bitter towards someone. He or she is never malicious or self-seeking. Are you struggling with self-seeking right now? A gentle person is never arrogant or vengeful. Searching for wisdom. We're going to finish up there. I got, I'm going to try to do this in five minutes. <clears throat> I only have 18 more pages. You're fine. We'll only be out of four. It's okay. Andy Newman said, 20, 25 pages, Jack. It's okay. <laughs> I, want, I, want to, I want you to see how Job, probably one of the very first books of the Bible ever really penned, <clears throat> I love Job's analogy about wisdom. I love how he takes, it's almost parabolic in the way he speaks. Look at slides 34 through 36 with me. Job had asked these kind of questions way back in his day when he was alive. In the first 11 verses, he uses the idea of mining. You know how they miners mine for precious metals and all that? For probing the mysteries of digging for precious stones and minerals. So let me read these first 11 verses to you. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust. Copper is smelted from rock. Man puts an end to darkness. And to the farthest limits he searches out the rock in gloom and deep shadow. He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro 
far from men. The earth, from it comes flood or food. And underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires. Its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have never trodden it. Nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the base. He hews out channels through rocks, and his eyes see anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out. So, we look at that and we're like, okay, what in the world is this dude talking about? Well, let me unpack it for you and it'll blow your mind because it's amazing how they talked back then and he, what this metaphor is. See, Job shares, church, through those first 11 verses, how men would risk their very lives to dig deep into the mountainsides, down into the earth to dig for precious metals, and we're still doing that today. See, back then, back then in Job's day, they would build these really large fires. So they're digging down deep into these holes, down into the earth. Then they build these really large fires, and they heat up the walls of the tunnels really, really hot to where they're almost glowing. Then they take water, and they pour water on them, which then causes the rocks to crack. The miners would then rake up the precious stones. Today we use dynamite. See, they would dig deep to uncover treasure, right? The miners would penetrate down deep into the deepest places to find these gems. So Job uses this analogy in the first 11 verses to set up what he says next. Do we mine the precious word of God for the hidden treasure found in it? How about... 12 through, I think, 23. Slide 37 through 39. So here's Job. That's the first 11 verses. Here's where Job now takes that in verse 12. Where then can wisdom be found? Where is this place of understanding? Man does not know its value. Amen. We don't. Nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not mine. It's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed at its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass can't equal it. That can't equal wisdom. Nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned. And the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it. Nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then? Where then does wisdom come from? Where is the place of understanding? Thus, it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears, we've heard a report of it. People today still do not realize that all the money in the world, all the scratch-off tickets and all that, all the jewels of the world, all the fame in the world, the American Idol, cannot buy godly wisdom. Job finishes up slide 1441. I guess we'll have to stop there. God understands 
its ways. This is Job 28, 23 through 28. God, God understands its ways. He knows its place. He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure. When he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Then he saw it and he declared it, church. He established it, slide 41, and searched it out. And to man he said, and here is Proverbs 7 also in Job 28, 28. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To turn away from evil, that is understanding. Amen. I'm going to stop there because I can keep going. Uh, <clears throat> all right, guys. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads real quick this morning. I know I, as Dr. Wood says, it's a lot to fit in the ear. We're going to do part two of this next week. So if you're here this morning and maybe your life is out of control, maybe you're, you're looking for blessings in the land of idols, maybe you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Who knows? You know, if you were to drop dead this afternoon, like the 16-year-old kid earlier this week trying to cross Route 100 by the Chili's, got killed by a car. He woke up that morning. He did not know by that afternoon the Lord would require his soul. If you were to die today and you were to stand before the true and living God and God was to look you in the face and he asked you this question, why should I let you into heaven? I want you to think very clearly because your life depends on it. What would your answer be? Maybe you die by car accident, you choke, you get hit, who knows. But if you were to drop dead today, they can't bring you back. They hit you with the paddles. Maybe you're a drug user and they hit you with an archon. You're not coming back. <clears throat> and now you're ushered into front of that bema seat, that judgment seat of God. And he asks you, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? You're not going to be able to say, well, I was a good person. That ain't going to get you into heaven. Oh, I helped the old lady cross the street. That isn't going to get you into heaven. Being good doesn't get you into heaven. Giving gifts does not get you in heaven. The only true answer is this. Because I place my faith and trust in you, Jesus. I know you died on that cross to pay my sin debt in full. And I know the only reason I should be allowed in heaven is because that shed blood, that crimson blood on Calvary's cross was shed and paid my sin debt in full. Church, the worst about you and I was placed on Jesus. The best of Jesus was credited to you and I. You can't buy that. You can only receive that by faith. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other way. So if you are here this morning and God is just effectually calling into your heart, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Christ today as he has been freely offered to you in the gospel. Right? Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. Amen? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shake hands, meet and greet, and then line up.